0: Hey everybody, this is Andrew from Musical Theatre Deathmatch. Before this episode begins, I just want to let you know that we're talking about Groundhog Day, which is a surprisingly dark and depressing story. Uh, And I just want to give a brief content warning that we will be discussing depression, mental health, and briefly talking about suicide. Uh, I just want to let you know about that before you launch into this episode, and if uh, such topics might distress you, I would advise you to consider skipping this episode. Thanks. Uh, enjoy the show.
1: Tonight, it's surprisingly good Broadway adaptations, Groundhog Day vs. SpongeBob SquarePants.
0: This is Musical Theater Deathmatch! to get a match. And who's the lucky sponge in the mirror
2: who is living his dream? Who's always extra careful with his dental
1: hygiene?
0: Uh, I feel like before we, we move into our intro, this is something I honestly have to get off my chest. If you are listening to this podcast, you might say to yourself, hey, I don't know Spongebob Squarepants or Groundhog Day the musical, and I advise you, please stick around. These are both... The theme of this episode is surprisingly good adaptations, Both of these episodes are surprisingly good adaptations, and I hope that this episode can inspire you to go and check them out on your own.
2: You did say episodes instead of musicals. Yeah,
0: yeah. Look, we'll get into that in a minute too. (laughs) Kelsey, Kelsey, please kick us into the actual intro.
1: Okay. Welcome to Musical Theater Deathmatch, the podcast where two recovering theater kids pit two musicals against each other and try to determine which is the better show. My name is Kelsey Goldman.
0: And I'm Andrew Favallaro.
1: Apologies, audience. Andrew Andrew was at a holiday, a virtual holiday thing.
0: (laughs) I was at a virtual holiday thing, which is, I suppose, weird, as today is, of course, New Year's Day, January 1st, 2021. But, like... Obviously today is when you're listening to it, when we're recording it, the whole shebang. Everybody knows it. There's no weirdness there.
1: It's almost like it's always January first, twenty
0: twenty one. Oof. Every day I sleep.
1: Honestly. I wake
0: up, it's January first, twenty twenty
1: one. Honestly, we maybe should have saved this for February.
0: That's a good point. we we'll just bank this for February. We'll record a new one now. Sarah, how do you feel about the title as a number? <laughs> no. Um, no, we want to talk about surprisingly good adaptations. And the unfortunate fact is we scheduled it on a day that I did not realize was going to be my office holiday party in the middle of December. But that's fine. It's January 1st now, and it's great, obviously, like, now that it's January 1st, 2021, the following good things have happened in this nation.
1: There's a whale in Hudson River. That's pretty cool. I <laughs> did hear
0: about that on today, January, January 1st, 2021.
1: 2021. Yeah. Anyway. Um,
0: no, I, I, think, I think honestly, at this point, we need to call out the incredible dedication of my co host who, A, stuck with me despite the fact that I don't like Yoda, little, 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 And Listen. B, heard how drunk I got at my holiday party and said, I can match that. She's watching co host go pitter-pat, said, I can do that. I can do that. I can do that. Bam, 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 bam.
1: Honestly, we need to do that at karaoke. Just... Write that
0: down. I agree. No. Um, uh, I can't even remember the name of that song right now. Is it... I can do that. That's the name of the song. I already said it. And that's where I am tonight.
1: Sorry, So, folks. I'm going to just go ahead and introduce our guest.
0: Hold on. I actually have... I have a plan for this guest. It is that... Uh, last episode, we introduced my friend, Hannah Susie. The episode before, we introduced your best friend, Jason Edwards. but true. But our, our guest this episode is a dear friend to both of us. And I was thinking that we could alternate word for word the introduction for this guest. How do you feel about that, Kelsey Goldman?
1: Uh, sure? Is this going to be like an exquisite corpse thing?
0: Exactly. You got it. You know those theater games. Our lovely guest tonight is the greatest ever of all time. She always entertains. It's Sarah, it's Sarah Shepard, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen.
2: Happy New Year! Happy New Year. I love you both so much. Um, and uh, that was beautiful. That was Thank amazing. You. Nor-
0: normally, Sarah, I, uh, I structure our banter a little bit so that the guests can come in and contribute to the banter. But A, I'm, I'm too much of a mess for tonight. But B, I wanted to make sure that we didn't have anything for you to build off so you would be backed into this corner. Which is that you have secretly already recorded an episode of this podcast, haven't you?
2: I have indeed. Would you
0: like to walk us through what that musical deathmatch was?
2: So, uh, y'all, I'd be loving some Andrew Lloyd Webber. She do. And I also be loving some Andrew and Kelsey. Which is why I was willing to be on their test pilot episode. Where we compared cats to Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat. Specifically, the uh video versions of both
0: <laughs> that's that's right we we took apart some donny osmond versus some pbs cats bullshit uh and sarah do you remember who won
2: i believe you know honestly i don't because time lost all meaning and i don't remember i thought cats won i think it was cats
0: it was not cats it was not sarah cats I, joseph won sarah and i both went joseph and we beat kelsey
2: Because you all convinced me. That makes sense. Um, Because I love both of those shows very, very much. I actually love both of the shows we're talking about tonight very, very much too. So this is, I've already said this to both of you. I'll say it here. I think this is going to be a musical theater love fest. Because I have almost nothing negative to say.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, Kelsey, um, on this podcast, we talk about musicals. And can can you remind the audience of the way in which we talk about musicals?
1: So, tonight we have two musicals facing off against each other. We'll start with a brief historical introduction and plot summary of our two musicals. The introduction tonight will be slightly less historical as we are dealing with some pretty recent musicals. Then we'll discuss the pros and cons of each show one by one. Uh, there's usually a game at some point. Um, and then when we're ready, we'll call for a vote and decide who is the winner of the death match. Love Fest! And really, there there are no losers tonight because everyone gets to learn more about these two amazing musicals. Mm-hmm. That
0: that is true. Uh, and Kelsey, it seems like you are scheduled to uh, give us a rundown of our first show, which is SpongeBob SquarePants: The New Musical.
1: Okay, so we are talking SpongeBob SquarePants: The New Musical. Now, based on the beloved cartoon, the musical follows our hero, the titular Sponge. On a normal day in his life in his underwater town of Bikini Bottom. Except a nearby volcano is about to blow and destroy the town. SpongeBob and his friends endeavor to stop it. Plankton hatches an evil plan. There's a charity concert. Many hijinks ensue. It's very fun. It's, you know, it feels like a a longish episode of the show. The idea for the show was conceived in 2014, and I think the most unique part of the creative background of the show is that the entire score was written by various notable artists, (laughs) Um, including, but not limited to, Jonathan Coulton, David Bowie, and Brian Eno. The Plain White Tees, T.I., Panic at the Disco, Cindy Lopper, The Flaming Lips, the artists formerly known as Lady Antebellum. They might be giants. I was about to say, is she going to say Lady A? Is she going to say Lady Antebellum? Is she just going to not name them all because they're assholes who changed their name to someone else's name and then sued that person?
0: I totally forgot that they yeah. were one of the contributors on that show.
1: Yeah, and it also includes the song Best Day Ever and the theme song, which are both in the original cartoon. The show opened in Chicago in June of 2016 and then had its first preview on Broadway in November of 2017. So it did a whole year, I think, out of town. Um, It did... Trivia, I worked on both of these shows as
2: an <laughs> advertiser. Let me interrupt for one second. It did about three months in Chicago. Mm-hmm. It took it a while to find a theater in New York.
1: Okay, nice. Um, and then it closed on September, in September of 2018. So just under a year on Broadway. And that was because
2: they had a venue that was closing for construction. Yeah. And then they did. They Nickelodeon chose not to put it in another theater and just record a version that you can find on. Un-
1: it was nominated for twelve Tony Awards and won for best scenic design because the Tonys are dumb and didn't want to give an award to SpongeBob the Musical even though Ethan Slater deserved that shit.
2: Preach. Here, here.
1: That is the end of my historical context and plot summary. <laughs>
0: That's great. Uh, at that point, I guess it is time for me to talk about Groundhog Day. Groundhog Please. Day shares a name with a film from 1993 called Groundhog Day, obviously. The film stars Bill Murray and Andy McDowell, and it features uh, Bill Murray as a man named Phil Connors, who is a meteorologist who travels to Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania on Groundhog Day to cover the groundhog coming up and seeing it shadow or not. And deciding if there's going to be more winter only to discover that the next day he wakes up and it is Groundhog Day again for, and this is canonical, 10,000 years. He spends reliving the same day over and over and over and over, eventually learning how to become a better man. So it turns out that in 2003, Stephen Sondheim was interviewed about what his next project might be, and he had expressed interest in musically adapting Groundhog Day, but that's not the show we're talking about. We are talking about the 2017 adaptation of Groundhog Day by Tim Minchin, noted Australian music comic. This show had... Tryouts in London in 2016, and then moved to Broadway in 2017, where it starred Andy Carl.
2: Andy Carl was also in London, and I think it's important to know Groundhog Day swept the
1: Olivier's. It did very, very well in London. Well, the British are smarter than us in that way.
0: It starred Andy Carl as Phil Connors, and Barrett Doss as his love interest Rita. And it tells almost exactly the same story. Phil Connors, he is a curmudgeon. Uh, who is covering Groundhog Day, realizes that he's stuck in a loop, and then eventually learns how to be a better man, but what's fascinating about the musical is that the second act kind of takes all of these bit characters that were introduced to in the first half of the film and really expands upon them. So you have these brilliant songs like Playing Nancy, uh, which is the perspective of a girl that Phil Connors kind of learns everything about so that he can sleep with her in a very dickish kind of uh, 1993 move. Tim Minchin turns it around to be a little bit more interesting and feminist in the 2017 perspective. You have the song Night Will Come, which is told by the incredibly annoying character of uh, Ned Ryerson, who is an insurance salesman. Uh, and it gives some backstory into how his wife had died and he's a really sympathetic character.
2: Also, I just want to add, I spoke too soon. It did not sweep the Olivier's, but it did get Best New Musical and Best Actor in a Musical and it should have gotten the rest. I just wanted to say, since I'm the one who gave a bad fact, I wanted to correct said bad fact. <laughs> but what's important to know is it did get the British equivalent of a Tony for Best New Musical and i feel like that is very important.
0: Yep. Uh okay. and it's important to note that while groundhog day was nominated for seven musicals including best musical and best leading actor, it was not er, it won zero of them, which is honestly just a travesty.
2: Tony awards.
0: What did i say? Said seven
2: <laughs> musicals. seven musicals. <laughs> this is going to be real fun.
0: <laughs> Sorry, it was nominated for seven Tony awards. Uh it won an Outer Critics Circle <laughs> Award, apparently, and a Drama Desk Award.
1: I mean, I oh, you all wait, these were wait. these were the Tonys uh, hosted by Kevin Spacey. Oh yes, I have I have some opinions on this Tony Awards, which we can also dig into. Y'all, let me know how far to dive uh, in. Oh, d- oh, this was this was the thing is the thing is Groundhog Day should have opened like the next year because they had some tough fucking competition. Well, it's like this Tony Awards had so much tough fucking competition because they all waited
2: to open after Hamilton.
0: So, Sarah, we invited you to be the guest on this episode because you have a special connection to both Groundhog Day and SpongeBob SquarePants the musical. And I was wondering if you could elaborate a little bit on your thoughts about both of these shows, including, for instance, I don't know, your thoughts on how they should have done in certain award ceremonies.
2: Yes, all right, thank you. So some background on me, before my current job, I worked in Broadway advertising. So literally all I did (laughs) was work on Broadway shows, and I was lucky enough to have both of these shows as my client at one point or another. Spongebob, I worked on Spongebob while it had its out-of-town in Chicago and before it opened on Broadway. And then Nickelodeon realized, oh, wait, we can just do all of our digital advertising in-house. Why in the world would we pay an agency to do it when we can do it for so much cheaper ourselves? Which, valid point, Nickelodeon. (laughs) I understand why you fired us. Uh, I also really appreciated that you still gave me free tickets to the show when it opened because I worked really hard. So thank you. I also worked on Groundhog Day when it was on its last legs and they switched a lot of their agencies in hopes of improving performance in terms of ticket sales, which we can dig into more. It's truly, I will probably say this repeatedly throughout this evening, it is a travesty more people did not see Groundhog Day. It's a travesty more people did not see SpongeBob. They're both very good shows more people should have seen. Um... But I worked on both of them. I literally, when I found out our agency was going to get Groundhog Day, I went to my boss and was like, if you do not give this to me, (laughs) I will be devastated. And I'd only done that twice in my career. Uh, Before that, I also fought to get uh, School of Rock the musical. But that's a separate story for another time. Uh, But I love both of these musicals dearly. Groundhog Day got especially screwed when it came to Tony's because a bunch of very good shows intelligently waited till Hamilton was gone to open because they wanted a chance at the Tony Award. And they knew Hamilton was gonna sweep in 2016. So in 2017, we had a wealth of beautiful new Broadway shows. We had Groundhog Day, we had Natasha Pierre, we had Dear Evan Hansen, and Come From Away, the 9-11 musical, (laughs) um, all on Broadway at the same time. And those are four amazing musicals. Granted, I have a favorite and it will become clear as we talk through the rest of this podcast, but... They are both four amazing musicals. So it was a very tight Tony Awards. It was the Tony Awards with a wealth of riches, with the exception of the host who is a rapist and a monster, and we will not speak of him anymore. Spongebob opened the next year, which, to be perfectly honest, was a bad year for the Tony Awards. A really
1: fucking bad year. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to get the actual, like, Tony Awards for that year page up. I have the page up. Uh, the It's the year the band's visit won everything. Okay, mm-hmm. because the band's visit, I did not like. But I understand why people yes, do. Yes, that's how I feel about it as well. Yeah. But you had what bands visit, SpongeBob, Mean Girls? Uh, those were the ones that were worth uh having Tony nominations. You also had Frozen, which I think got a couple, uh, The Donna Summer musical, uh Escape to Margaritaville, and and the uh the the huge bomb Prince of Broadway. <laughs> yeah.
2: So like the next year was rough because so many very good musicals waited. Like, in my heart and soul, I'm like, Groundhog Day should have waited one, one more, year, more year. One more year!
1: One more year, they would have won everything! And they could have... <laughs> I think they could have beat The Band's Visit, I, I do, too. I do, too. They at least um, could have split the, you know... The Band's Visit yeah. was nominated for 11 awards and won 10. And the one they yeah. didn't win was the one Spongebob won, which was seated yeah. design, I think. Which,
2: Spongebob, we can get into it, but Spongebob 100% deserves. If Band Fence had won it, I would have screamed from the basement of the Tony Awards and you would have heard it on the podcast.
1: Because <laughs> um, you were also the... That was also your client. Yes. These two years were also the two years I personally
2: also worked on the Tony Awards. <laughs> so I have a lot of personal stakes in all of this. So, and the last thing I'll, I'll say to wrap this up is why I like talking about both of these musicals together is because they both look really bad on paper. When SpongeBob started and we found, even just when we found out we were working on SpongeBob, we were all like, wait, is it going to be like the foam people at like Paramount theme parks or like Universal Studios? Like, are we talking like stage production with a big old, like for three year old SpongeBob? Mm -hmm. But like, it was actually like, no, it's real people. It's, it's, it's a unique story, like, it's nothing like what you think it is. But that's a really big hurdle to overcome in terms of advertising something. And then Groundhog Day, like, it's a famous movie. It's, it's historically lauded as one of the best comedies of all time. Like, it's got a lot of praise. But, like, the people who really love it tend to be, like, 80s dads. And when I say 80s dads, what I mean is dads who came of age in the 70s and 80s.
1: Our dads. Yeah.
2: Like my dad loves Groundhog Day.
1: You know you know, fun fact I've
2: never seen the movie. Oh shit, that is going to be revised come this Groundhog Day in just a month and a half in <laughs> yeah, 2021.
0: I, I know precisely how you're going to spend probably the week following February second, two thousand twenty one.
2: Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, first of all, you listen to the musical soundtrack every day, but also you watch the movie. Yeah. Um But anyway, like there's there's a demographic that does not buy tickets to Broadway shows, and that demographic is 80s dads. <laughs> they, their wives buy tickets, and their children buy tickets, but they do not. So when you adapt a musical of a show, of a movie, that the most likely demographic interested in it is 80s dads,
1: you've got yourself a problem. I'm Yeah, I, I can't wait to break this down later. I want to do Andrew's segment first, but yeah. one of my... One of my favorite things about both of these musicals is who they're for. Um.
0: (laughs) Before we dig into both of these shows, I would like to introduce a new game. Uh, I would like to point out that this is the fourth new game I have introduced, and this is the fourth idea I've had. (laughs) So I have run out of ideas at this point. But our game tonight is entitled Wide path. And the idea behind this game is that I have taken some lyrics from both of these shows, SpongeBob and Groundhog Day, I have run them through Google Translate through a bunch of different languages, and then translated them back into English. So for instance, if I took the phrase Broadway and translated it from English into Korean, Japanese, Latin, Hebrew, Esperanto, Vietnamese, and then back into English, it might come back as the phrase Wide Path. What we're going to do is I'm going to Read a f- translated and untranslated phrase to one of our guests slash co-hosts tonight. Um, if they can correctly identify the show that it is from, the other person has a chance to steal it by correctly identifying the song that it is from from within that show. Uh, and this is going to be the first time in this show, in this podcast history where I'm actually keeping score.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say we don't normally keep score. No, this time,
0: this time I came ready for it.
1: Okay, it's me, girl. We gotta do <laughs> we gotta, it. We it's Sarah, so it's a competition.
0: All right, all right.
1: You know me. Yeah. Kelsey. Okay.
0: I'm thinking. I am thinking of a number from one to two. Which number is it? Two. No, it was one. Sarah, you're going first. <laughs> all right.
2: The digital right. coin toss.
0: <laughs> Sarah. But if there is only one choice, fell and submerged, when kicked football and praise in some areas, Mr. believes in a perfect person.
2: Is that. Holy crap. Is this that from Groundhog so Day or
0: is that from SpongeBob? <laughs>
2: <laughs> but if there is only one choice, fell was submerged. I'm going to say SpongeBob.
0: Kelsey, you get a point. This is the lyric, if. The only other option is to come and settle down with some condescending clown with a great rating from some dating service, some self, some self-professing Mister Perfect, which is of course, which is of course a lyric from Groundhog Day. Kelsey gets Uh, that point.
1: Ooh, okay.
2: Yeah. Okay. I'm ashamed of myself.
0: (laughs) Yeah.
1: I mean, this is hard. (laughs) Oh no, this this is real hard.
0: This is the (laughs) hardest game I've come up with yet.
1: This is hard. Okay, let's do it. I'm ready. Give me mine.
0: Okay, our next lyric, translated lyric for you is, Or lost, you won't reach since the game is sometimes necessary. Do not trade cards, a new day has come every morning.
1: See, I think this is really hard because both of these shows take place over the course of one day, technically. And there's a lot of that, like, motif running through here. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Um, I'm gonna say Groundhog Day.
0: It is indeed from Groundhog Day. Sarah, do you want to try to steal by telling me which song it is from?
1: I think it's Seeing
2: You. Oof. It's either Seeing You or There Will Be Sun.
0: Okay, so you're wrong twice.
2: <laughs> oh no.
0: Kelsey, this is from Hope from Groundhog Day. The original lyric is, never give up hope, never let the odds overwhelm you. When the game gets hard, don't throw in your cards. A new day oh, will follow, will there's follow. always tomorrow. Always
2: tomorrow, yeah. Oof, this is hard. <laughs> Two points for me.
0: This is real hard. So Kelsey is currently up 2-0. All right, Sarah, this is back to you.
2: The okay, he- this is SpongeBob. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, the heroes, good gameplay, give him old information. There is no better time than this. Not given meditation or swimming, there was no stronger force than this.
0: Uh, Kelsey, this is in fact from SpongeBob. Can you tell okay. me which song from SpongeBob this is from?
1: I mean... I'm going to say, this is probably wrong, but I'm going to say Hero is my middle name because it's got that in the thing.
0: Kelsey Kelsey is on a 3-0 run, which means that technically she has already won because there's only five questions, but we're going to just keep going.
2: <laughs> Let's keep it going. Good job, Kelsey.
0: The original Hero lyric. Hero
2: is my middle name.
0: Fixing trouble is my game. Just Ficks give it the old know-how. Fixing
2: trouble is my game. There's no better time than now.
0: Don't give up and don't give in. If you're thinking sink or swim, courage is your claim to fame. It's what the original lyric there was. I'll probably have to re record that later.
2: <laughs> what? You didn't.
0: Sarah, this one kicks to you. Uh, and the lyric is If more, I. And this is honestly important. I is lowercase. I don't know how Google Translate lowercase this I, but it did at some point. <laughs> if more, I will do it for you but everyone knows that you have to rebuild it, of course. As a result, not all websites are safe. The dream you dreamed of, <laughs> let's fix this, I laughed. I would certainly <laughs> learn.
2: I think you might need to run this through the translator fewer times.
1: Um, I want to put it out there and say this is from Les Mis. <laughs> I'm going to say SpongeBob. Uh,
0: Oof, another point um, for Kelsey. I think
2: it's
1: Groundhog Day, yeah. Sarah. Damn, I'm,
2: I am killing it. That's if I had my time again? It is. It's your favorite I song had from
0: had Groundhog Day.
2: Again.
1: It is my favorite song from <laughs> Groundhog Day.
0: If I had my time again, oh, I would see, do it am... all the same, they claim, but that's ridiculous. Yeah. Surely you'd want to make a couple of yeah. fixes. All the boxes I left laughed. unchecked, all the dreams you left neglected, been. you'd go back and yeah. put it right. I've always fancied learning how to climb, which is um, a weird translation of that last line.
2: Well, this is also a hard one because this is also a duet yeah. so your your brain is trying to put two people's words together
0: So I thought about that. This is not a duet.
2: Oh This is the part where she's singing. This, oh, yeah, you're right. All the boxes left unchecked all the dreams you left neglected You and go put back and
0: It starts to being a duet Bob's immediately parents. after the climb,
2: you know what it is Andrew you you This is what Andrew is doing. And this is why this is so hard. He's not doing just verses or just chorus. He's doing part of a verse and part of a chorus. Like that's what this is. So you can't like separate it in your head. You're instead having to be like, well, if this is a part of a chorus, what musical would this be? But no, it's chorus and verse.
0: Kelsey, Kelsey with a 4-0 lead. Mentally H, ready to get started?
1: Like the day he
0: couldn't get better, but tried. I'm gone. I want to be a crab cake.
1: I mean, I I'm gonna go with the obvious and say that this is SpongeBob.
0: Kelsey, you're right, this is Spongebob. But like
1: maybe it's not. <laughs>
0: Kelsey, you're right, this is SpongeBob, but Sarah, which song from SpongeBob is this from?
2: I mean, it seems like it's Bikini Bottom Day.
0: Ooh, Sarah got a point.
2: I got a point. I'm on the board.
0: <laughs> the, line, the original line is full steam ahead. SSI I'm ready is about to set sail. This, this kind, kind of day, day couldn't much better, get much better buddy. but, but it keeps trying. on trying. I'm on my way somewhere there's a crabby Patty that needs frying. <laughs> I want to be a crab
2: cake. <laughs> I'm gone. I want to be a crab cake. Anyway...
0: Uh, so with a resounding victory of 4 to 1, Kelsey is the first, is the first official winner of any game on this podcast. Get it
2: bitch, get it.
0: Cool. So now that we've played my game, I feel like we should start talking about SpongeBob.
2: Probably, yeah, Let's do
1: it.
0: And before we start talking about SpongeBob, I would like everybody to take a second and form in their minds the phrase that you have to use to describe SpongeBob. To people who have no idea about it. And I'd like us to all say it in unison. Because we all know it's the same phrase, right?
2: The musical or the TV show?
0: The musical. Uh, Does everybody have their phrase?
2: I, I'm i going to do one word. Oh. Or, or do you want us to do a phrase?
0: Uh, I I have a particular phrase in mind that I feel like we have all at different points said about all this right. musical.
1: Uh, I think this is going to go ready? badly, but I'm for it. This is going
0: to go a little bit. Ready? Great. Three... Two, one. Millennial nostalgia. Than it has any right
2: to be. <laughs> I don't know what Kelsey said. I, what did you say, I Kelsey? said millennial nostalgia. <laughs> Ooh, I said um, weird as hell. And um,
0: I said better than it has any right to be. Yeah.
2: Which I think we all have said that. That is yeah. true. But like- that's the thing that gets – I think what's interesting about the millennial thing you said, Kelsey, is, like, I think the reason this musical is good is because Tina Landau fucking loves SpongeBob. <laughs> and she is not a millennial. <laughs> but she loves SpongeBob so much. Well,
1: because I think I think one of the reasons this musical didn't do as well as it could is that the the actual – like, the, the target audience it was marketed to was um, – you know, families, because it's a family musical and stuff, but the actual target audience for this show is, like, high as fuck millennials. (laughs) Oh, no. I I was in meeting rooms where we would be talking
2: about how we're hoping New York legalizes weed this year, because then SpongeBob could serve gummies. Yeah, yeah, like... Or SpongeBob could figure out how to serve gummies, I guess, would be a bigger thing. Like, how do you do that when weed isn't regulated? But, like, everyone knows, like, well, not everyone, but, like... We all talked about it. Like Uh-oh. Spongebob is something to see high or to see as a child, and those are the two options. Yeah. Granted, I saw Spongebob drunk and not high. I, and yeah, I was high.
1: I was mostly sober when I saw Spongebob, but and I still yeah. had a very yeah. good time. But I think I yeah. think for me, like the thing about these two shows is who they're for, and I think the reason that they didn't do as well to no fault of yours, Sarah, because I know you worked on them, but, you know, the the shows have a vision of who they're marketing to, and you have a vision of who they're marketing to. And there's also the the inherent, like... uh, barriers to marketing to a certain audience that doesn't have money to pay for broader shows (laughs) but i think for example stoner yes i think that both of these shows were made for a very specific demographic and that demographic is in this google meet (laughs) new yorkers with broad sexualities and also depression yes i think the Mm -hmm. other thing
2: that brings us all together today
0: and I think the third the third thing about SpongeBob is that it is surprisingly left leaning. Mm-hmm. Uh, you do not walk into SpongeBob SquarePants the musical expecting a immigrants are good for your country message. But that's
1: what you come out <laughs> of way. it
0: with. So uh, a lot of the plot of SpongeBob revolves around the fact that there is a volcano that's about to go off, and who is the only person who can save us is a black texan squirrel who does not live at the bottom of the ocean but has immigrated to the bottom of the ocean and there is a lot of anti-squirrel sentiment in this musical that uh that like gets turned on its head in a very post-trumpian way <laughs>
1: I think one of the other interesting things, just like aesthetically and and stylistically, about the SpongeBob musical is that they didn't decide to go with the uh sort of like big foam costume things, and they just let the actors sort of embody these characters. Um, which like when I first heard about it, I was like, really? Okay. And then, and I thought it was gonna be more like a Lion King thing where there was some sort of like puppetry situation. Um, but other than like Squidward, I think where he has like and plankton, and, yeah. Like plankton is the little like finger puppet on an actor. Like. Yeah, but like you're watching Wesley Taylor. You're not watching the yeah, finger puppet. You're like, yeah, like um. I watched the finger puppet, but I'm one of those people <laughs> that like very intensely. Like Avenue Q for me was like focus on the puppets. Focus. Well, on and the I puppet. think Avenue Q is more about the puppets than like this situation yeah. is like, especially with like yeah. SpongeBob and Patrick and Sandy specifically. Like they chose actors who embodied those characters, you know? Like, I think, yeah. I, I can't say enough about how good Ethan Slater was in this role. He played SpongeBob. And, like, I, I'm i sure someone else could play it, but, like, I just can't... I remember being so surprised at, like, oh, no, I don't, like... I believe he is SpongeBob. Like, I believe it. Yeah, no, I...
2: <laughs> Andrew, go ahead.
0: Oh, sorry, I just, I just want to add on to this, that if you've ever seen behind-the-scenes video of how, um... SpongeBob oh, he's voice acting is it done. Oh,
2: he's his kicking back.
0: <laughs> if you've ever seen how how it's done, Tom Kenny, the original voice of SpongeBob, would do SpongeBob's laugh by grabbing the throat or the skin on his throat and going ah and like honestly beating his throat with his hands. Yeah. And the fact that Ethan Slater can A sing like SpongeBob and B do the laugh without having to slam into his throat with everything yeah. he's doing is truly impressive And like, let's,
2: let's not forget in the second act he also does that
1: upside down climbing oh my god it's so impressive like I remember like, being in the theater and being like how the fuck is he doing that that's like it's impossible <laughs> yeah he's, he's a human machine and it's like I remember because one of
2: my highlights of working on Spongebob was I got to go to a press event at Nickelodeon where they, um, where they came up and they talked about SpongeBob and they talked about why this musical is important and they gave a lot of context and they did a couple performances of the songs, and Tina Landau got up there and one like she just lit up like you could see how much she loved SpongeBob. Just as, like, a show. And I would say, I personally didn't grow up with Cable. I have seen maybe four episodes of Spongebob. Like, I don't have, like, historical context. I know the F is for Friends song and all that. But, like, I didn't really watch it. And so it was so lovely to see all these people get up there and be like, this is a show that has already existed for, like, a decade and a half. Who people adore. Tina Landau is one of those people. And had this passion project and this idea and this beautiful thing she wanted to create and you got people coming up there and like the reason they were able to get this all-star like list of people to write songs is because all those people truly love SpongeBob. Like they love what the show represents. Some of these people reached out asking, like we've heard rumors about a musical. Will you let us be a part of it? Like there was that kind of like dedication to SpongeBob and loving it so much that even just a rumor mill about it had some people being like, please let me be a part of this. Of course there are others. You're Sarah Bareilles' your Cindy Cyndi Lauper's. Those are people who, it was like, they've got Broadway pedigree and we need people to help us fill in the blanks. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm convinced, like, Cindy and Sarah and a few others were people that was like, will you help us out? Like, are you willing to be on board? And they were like, yeah, we love but SpongeBob. But, like, T.I.? Yeah, no, I think T.I. just <laughs> loves SpongeBob.
1: <laughs> Which brings me to my, one of my other things. So, I'm a huge Jonathan Colton fan. Oh, my God. He needs to write a whole fucking musical. He needs to do it. Just do it, Jonathan.
2: I am an intense Jonathan Colton fan. I was at one of his shows one time and he played a song and I was the only person who screamed in excitement and it was weird for a second <laughs> um, because most people don't think Good Morning Tucson is Jonathan Colton's best song, but I do. <laughs> um, so I, Jonathan Colton was brought on to write Bikini Bottom Day, but he was also brought on to bring all the songs together.
1: And And he does. I think it's important to know. And he does it fucking impressively. One of my favorite things. One of the things I noted about the show is that like these songs are all written by different people, and you can tell that they all written are all written by different people, but it doesn't feel wrong. No, because like "Bikini Bottom Day" sounds like a Jonathan Colton song. Yeah, it sure does. Well, and like, like when we were talking about Beetlejuice two episodes ago, right? All the songs in that sound different. They all sound like they were written by different people. They weren't, they don't all fit together. It's weird. These songs were all written by different people, but they work together. Tom Kitt deserves some praise. Yeah, Tom. For that. He orchestrated the hell out of this,
2: and I'm still mad he didn't win the Tony for orchestration to take these and make them feel unified granted like you hear bff and you're like yeah that's hey De- hey there delilah under the yeah. sea but like you're still like or um my one of my other favorite songs is daddy knows best and i realized it was one of my favorite songs because it was written by the guy from edward sharp and the magnetic zeros which yeah, is it's a good song which is a band i was obsessed with in high yeah. school so like there's there's so many moments where you're like of course like here's my middle name sounds like it could have been written for Kiki boots thrown out and then given to spongebob like some of these songs do that yeah because they so nail it like poor pirates feels like sarah barellis mm-hmm. but they make
1: it feel like spongebob yeah too. and i think i i'm actually now more mad about the fact that the band's visit won best orchestrations because like the the task that tom kit was given was way way harder and way bigger than yes. than that uh, <laughs> and he should have won he should have won i'm saying it right yeah, here because you <laughs> You want to acknowledge the artists
2: because right. a lot of these artists are people who are like very famous or people who have a ho- intense following like Joko or They Might Be mm-hmm. Giants. And you want to acknowledge that these are these artists, but you want to make it feel unified. And he did such a good job. <laughs>
1: Like yeah. the band's
2: visit all sounds like the band's yeah. visit, which sure it does, of course. It all
1: sounds like a marching band went to Israel, but like, yeah. <laughs> which is a very specific sound, and it does sound like that. <laughs> yeah. Because it, because like, honestly, it is very much like a prestige musical, and that's yeah. what the Academy it's, wanted to it do. Is.
2: It's a prestige musical, and it's a Jewish musical, and. Regardless of what people say, Broadway's
1: Listen, Broadway is very. Jewish. You won't succeed on Broadway. We
0: didn't talk about this last episode at all. You
1: won't succeed on, won't Broadway, succeed on Broadway if you Broadway don't have if you any Jews. Is a hundred percent accurate. accurate. <laughs> um,
2: but like, it deserves scenic design so much the Tony Awards could not ignore that. The set design for SpongeBob is one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen on Broadway. David Zinn took used materials, real materials, and turned it into like. It's beautiful like go Google it go look at it like he should have gotten costumes too because he also did amazing work making people look like the characters in Spongebob without putting them in foam suits and like I I'm getting emotional (laughs) His, his Tony speech was so good. And no one got to see the full Tony speech because it was edited to the commercial break and not aired live, but it was beautiful. And like he deserved it. There was not a better set on Broadway that year. I would say there wasn't a better set on Broadway for like the past five years. Like he did such good work to make a beautiful world that felt interactive and felt like, it encompassed everything you were looking at. He did such a good job. It's,
1: you know, it's like this this year for the Tonys, the, the band's visit and this show were the only ones that really felt to me, like, deserving of awards. But I do feel like Spongebob was sort of, like, not considered a serious contender. Yeah, because it was Spongebob. Because it was Spongebob, but it's a good show. I will say that my personal, like, my personal connection with Spongebob when I went to see it, we were sitting in the mezzanine, my mom and I, um, with, like, a school group of, like, ninth or tenth graders, um, and I was so struck with the, oh, these kids don't get this. (laughs) like they don't appreciate what is happening right now because I loved it. I had such a good time and I was like, I wish I was fucking high but I wasn't. Um, <laughs> but like the it, the I, I think I think the main thing that we've kind of been talking about that I've the the orchestration, the Tom Kids orchestration and the bringing together of all these songs so they don't sound so dissimilar is so impressive. It amazes me every time I listen to it. Speaking of
2: people around you in the audience, one of my favorite parts of when Jason and I went to see Spongebob was we were sitting behind two children who were on those booster seats (laughs) and it was very clear to me that their mom was like, we're going to a Broadway show and this is how you act at a Broadway show and this is what you do and like this is a special thing we're doing, which just warms my heart. Just like a kid like... Seeing Broadway for the first time and having that experience of like, this is how we go to a Broadway show is just beautiful. They turned around at intermission and turned to Jason and I and were like, can you see okay with us on our booster seats? And that just made me like melt that these two children were like. Can the people behind us see okay while we're up on the seats? Like, I was just like, these are the two best children in the world. I love them. Their mom did <laughs> such a good job. I love them. I don't know them. But I was just like, that was so nice to experience. Because, like, I've also sat behind a bunch of, like, rude 70-year-old women who have the smelliest perfume <sighs> I've ever smelled. And, like, it was just such a treat. Because, like, they were also so invested. Like, when um, they sang... um we're best friends, and this is the ben best friend song in the middle of BFFs. So they sang along, and they sang along to best day ever. And it was just, like, adorable. Like, I didn't mind because they were having a good time. And, like, they wanted us to have a good time, too. It was just it, – it was contagious. It was infectious. It was great.
0: I saw SpongeBob for my third wedding anniversary in 2018. Um, and really what happened was we had a, a gift certificate to TKTS. And we were like, what is available? What can we buy with this? And my wife, who, like, has a degree in theater, has worked at the public theater, has very strong opinions about what theater might be, was like, ugh, fine, I guess we can see SpongeBob. Like, what else is there on Broadway right now? This will be a fun thing for us to do.
1: Which, she was right, there wasn't a lot.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And we get there, and just, like, before even the curtain opened, she was like, I forgot how much I loved this and it was just like such a raw emotional moment just to see like I don't know I guess the the lighting effect of the bubble floating across the stage and by the end of it she was fanning her way through the playbill to be like holy shit Tina Landau that is a real theater director who directed this yeah. show um, Steppenwolf
1: baby right, Steppenwolf exactly. Wolf.
0: Um, I I love musicals, but I don't love theater the way that my wife does. It was just such a better constructed musical than, as I started this conversation off saying, it had any right to be. Um, everything coheres so well, which is why I feel it is incumbent upon me to bring up something that hasn't been mentioned yet. Bikini Bottom Boogie, as written by Steven Tyler, is a bad song. And I need to say it because it is important for the second half of this episode.
2: No, Andrew, I literally, I when I was listening to every song, I wrote notes for every single song because I've listened to both of these soundtracks like multiple times this week. And literally the only feedback I had for Bikini Bottom Boogie was filler.
1: It's not a bad song. It just doesn't need to be there.
2: And and for, for everyone else, this song has a bunch of skate stunts in it and it... It feels like we weren't sure what to do here, but we created this character of Pearl and we need her to have a journey. And so we're going to layer the skaters in this song into Pearl's journey.
0: It's not Pearl's journey.
2: No, Pearl is in Bikini and Bottom Buggy. She
0: sure is. It's it's Squidward's journey.
2: Oh, I guess. Yeah. All right. I'll allow that.
0: I, I will tell you precisely what happened in the writing of this musical because I'm pretty sure I figured it out. They were like a story. There is a volcano blowing up. Who is involved in the volcano blowing up? SpongeBob? Obviously, SpongeBob is every A-story. Sandy? She understands science. She's got to be there. Patrick? He's got this weird thing with the guppies, but he's part of the A-story. Who is our only other main character who hasn't been involved in the A-story? It's Squidward. Squidward can't fit into the volcano blowing up. So they wrote a B story around Squidward's musical inadequacies, which brings in this fake band that sings Bikini Bottom Boogie.
2: But it does lead us to I'm Not a Loser, which is the highlight of the musical.
0: Oof. I'm going to push back real hard on that. I'm Not a Simple Sponge is the highlight of the musical.
2: You're right. Not a Simple Sponge is great. I would say my favorite song, though, is I'm Not a Loser. Because it's, it's also... it's I guess I should say it's the scene stiller. It's the song they performed for the Tonys, which was absolutely the right... It, it is
0: the 11 o'clock number. Yes. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, the actor playing Squidward. Gavin Lee does an amazing job performing that song. I feel
0: like we need to take a step back and talk about Gavin Lee and his costume and how he uses that costume to perform this song.
2: Anyway, Gavin Lee's costume yes. was designed so it looked like he had more legs, so that he looked like Four a Four legs, in fact. So it like... Yes, so it bent out in such ways to look like he had multiple legs. But he had taps on for I'm Not a Loser. And watching someone tap dance with their prosthetic multiple legs is a delight. Amazing.
0: I'm am also- pretty sure that he had taps on each of his four legs. Two real, yes. too mm-hmm. fake. Mm-hmm. And he used each of them.
1: It's very impressive. Go look up the performance. I love... It's on Prime. It costs $10, but it is on Prime.
0: It's also on YouTube if you search their U- their Tony performance. I
2: do not believe... Oh, yeah, it's on their Tony performance, so you can actually watch it live. I was about to say, I don't believe in uh, illegal... Oh, YouTube's shit. Don't Broadway talk shows. to my
0: co-host, Kelsey.
2: Um, when I find them, I report them. Still?
0: <laughs> Even though you don't work for that advertising
2: yes. agent anymore? Even though I don't work for Broadway anymore. Can yeah. Broadway it's release
1: a- n- legal versions of things then? <laughs>
2: I would. It, it's funny. It's as if a global pandemic should indicate maybe we should move forward the times and we should make sure we have nice recordings everything and we make them accessible to everyone. It'd be great. But because it's Broadway, they won't fucking do that. Instead, they'll try to do the Tony Awards the same way. I digress. Wait, hold on. Hold,
0: hold on. When are the Tonys happening?
2: We don't know we yet. We do not know. Okay. Um, and I, I should say this. I love Broadway so much. I love the Tony Awards so much. I just wish we could move into the 21st century with everyone else yeah
1: because i want to watch musicals and i want to see musicals but i can't always afford to see musicals and eh. or you might live in a part of the country where you are not able to come to broadway and
2: tours don't come to you so maybe if there was a system by which you could spend i don't know maybe just five bucks to watch a recorded version you would. i do would that. do that <laughs>
0: You don't know how much money I would have wasted on the Phantom of the Opera when I was 16 if there was a way to watch it for 5 Oh each time. When I was in time. high
2: school, I would have been cranking out the plays. Like, I would have been like, let me pay my 120th of my allowance I have
1: this month so that I can watch this play that came out on Broadway. And, like, you could even monetize the different casts. Like, you could be, like, this is the the original Broadway cast. This is with these replacements. Yeah. Like, I would pay again to see different replacements. <laughs> yeah, which, like... That's yeah. how theater kids are. Yeah. It's true. And I get that,
2: like, recording Broadway shows is expensive. Mm-hmm. Right. But, like, I don't know... You've made enough
1: profits. Well, and, it's like, <laughs> and it's, make it accessible. And it's I think it is less expensive than what you would make from charging five bucks for like on prime.
2: Yeah. No, it, it would be <laughs> exactly. it, you would have to sacrifice something else, probably. Yeah. And it would be getting producers on board with sacrificing whatever that other thing would be. Whether that's, I don't know, radio ads, which I don't think are effective at all. <laughs> Take that radio budget, throw it in the garbage, use it to record it, and then distribute it. But again, I digress. Can I ask a question I yes. had for you all? Yes. So my my finishing question for SpongeBob is, so there's a lot of artists here mm-hmm. who wrote songs. Of the artists who wrote songs for the SpongeBob musical, which one do you want to write a few full musical who has not already? So you can't pick Cindy or Sarah. So it needs to be someone who has not
1: done a full Broadway Hands show. Hands down, Jonathan Colton. Hands down. Like, no no choice. No choice other than Jonathan Colton.
0: It's very close between Jonathan Colton and Brandon Uri.
2: Oh, okay. I can see that.
0: I, I, I truly believe, and also, now that I think about it, mm-hmm. they might be giants. But, like, I'm not a simple sponge. It's clear to me that at this point, Brandon Yuri slash Panic at the Disco are, like, reconsidering what their career has to be. He has spent time performing in, in Kinky Boots. He is a talented showman, or he has performed the greatest showman.
2: Which he even said, greatest showman is a Panic at the
1: Disco song. He's the that best he, Panic yeah. at the
0: Disco song that the Panic at the Disco has yeah. never written. Oh, yes. Great quote.
1: I mean, he's not wrong. <laughs> yeah.
0: He isn't. No, um, I I do think that Brandon Urey is, like, one of those once-in-a-hundred-year geniuses who cannot be contained people in the way that, like, Emily Dickinson feels that way to me, where it's like, she was like, poems are what I've got, I will do poems, but if you had introduced other media to Emily Dickinson, she would have been, like, a fantastic EDM artist, she would have been a incredible screenwriter like
2: I mean think think of the showrunner of a drama
1: she could have been
0: <laughs> Exactly. She was
1: she was the yeah, the Shonda Rhimes of her time. <laughs> I I love that so much.
0: <laughs> this is the first time I'm saying the sentence out loud, but I do believe that Brandon Yuri is like that level of talent. He's just constrained by up Alright.
1: I I'm I don't disagree with you, Andrew. I think I think we will see a Brendan Urick musical in our lifetimes. Um I also want desperately for us to see a Jonathan Colton musical in our lifetimes. Oh, no. I, I, for me, it's Jonathan <laughs> yeah. Colton,
2: that, that question. And,
1: like, I, I literally – I have a
2: list of things where if I were extremely obnoxiously wealthy, I would give blank checks. And there are two people I would give blank checks to to write a Broadway musical – One of them is Jonathan Colton. Who do you all think the other one is?
0: Well, that seems like a fantastic segue into the second half of this episode. Uh, And I think I know how to start the second half of this episode. On November 1st of 2018, I started a super strong depressive break. And I don't think it's a coincidence. That I happened to find this musical that my very dear friend Sarah Shepard had introduced to me at a time when she was also having a bit of a depressive episode.
1: Hey, let's talk about depression. We've all had many depressive episodes. I probably was in one too.
0: (laughs) Sarah, do you remember when the first time I learned about the Groundhog Day musical was?
1: I assume it was also
2: fall 2018, or was it? It
0: was three months earlier of
2: 2018. So summer of 2018. Yes. I can't remember. Tell me about it.
0: You came over to my apartment to record an episode of Andrew Ninja Warrior.
1: A fine podcast.
0: You played one day on on my Amazon Echo, whose name I won't say because she keeps perking up every time I say her name. But you, you played that song and I was like, what is this musical? And then three months later, I was like, I'm going to return to this shit. <laughs>
2: What I love about Groundhog Day is that I think it might have definitely, especially listening to it the past few days, because let's be honest with the podcasting world. I'm in a depressive episode right now. It's a fun time. So getting up and going to work is hard enough
0: going going
2: going i to... right? am <laughs> saying crawling out of my bed which is on the floor right now cuz our bed frame still hasn't been delivered so getting on my getting out of my floor mattress and walking to my second bedroom to work
1: is in fact an endurance honestly measure. honestly a floor mattress is just like a it is a trigger for a depressive episode it straight up is. It's a de- trigger for a depressive episode, and it's a trigger for painful It's, it's not. I, the last time I was on a floor mattress, I was in deep, deep depression. <laughs>
2: oh, no. My hips hurt so bad, and my soul hurts, too. So, like, um, this is going to be fun when my mom listens to this episode, and she's like, oh, my daughter has depression. <laughs> um, anyway, so, um, it's been a great couple weeks, <laughs> and when I've been listening to Groundhog Day, it just keeps reminding me, like, oh... <laughs> I love this musical because I have
1: depression. Listen, yes. we've, we've established that this musical is for bisexuals with depression. I, and I don't even think, I think like it's for anyone with depression. I, I agree with that too. You don't have to be bisexual, but it helps.
2: So I guess now's the time to say, I think Groundhog Day musical is the best musical that has ever been made Ever. Period in wow. the sentence. Okay. <laughs> I think this is the greatest musical ever made. So I'm just saying up front, everyone knows how I'm voting. She she put that out there.
0: I'm gonna say it is the best musical of the last ten years, hands down. Twenty years, yes. probably.
2: I oh yeah. I mean, you start you start getting into like late Ms. territory and chorus Exactly. And I understand. There's a lot of like powerful, impactful musicals that probably Groundhog Day owes some Listen, I, to. Listen, I I love you all, but I disagree. <laughs> yeah, no, and that's also
1: fine. I'm speaking my truth right
0: now. We've got the vote. You can go fuck off.
1: Hey, listen, listen, I'm only considering this and Spongebob right now. That doesn't mean this isn't going to win. I'm just not putting it up yeah. against every musical of the last 20 years. But, like, let's let's talk about Tim Let's Minchin. talk right. about the immense talent of one Timothy Minchin.
0: What is everybody's introduction to Tim Minchin?
1: Ooh. So
2: my introduction was the song, If I Didn't Have You, I'd Have Somebody Else, which is a song about, like, um, he's, it's a song about his wife and he wrote it about his wife, but the whole song is like, the way the world works, like there are there's no such thing as soulmates. Like you meet someone, you connect with them and it works. And Jason, my husband actually introduced me to this song, but I found it really refreshing because it's true. Like there are technically other people in the world I could have a successful marriage with. I love having one with my husband, but.
0: I, I believe yeah. there's a, a particularly poignant line in that song, which is you are one in a million. Which means there's 8,000 of you out there.
2: Yeah. (laughs) It's just like... And that's what Tim Minchin is so good at. He's so good at, like, processing things that maybe you personally haven't processed. Like, he dropped an album this year, which, like, is very good if you're trying to process some quarantine emotions.
1: I think my um, introduction to Tim Minchin would have probably been on... Never mind the Buzzcocks, where he was a sometimes panelist um, as more of a comedian than a performer, than a than a musical performer. Um, I think that was probably my introduction to him. If we're just going through what our introductions to him were, which, if you know me at all, is very on brand for me. <laughs> yeah, it I'm pretty was. sure my
0: introduction to Tim mentioned was a song called Prejudice or Confessions. And both of these songs are songs that take a very simple um comedic premise and just showcase tim minchin as a barefoot piano playing god confessions where he's he's talking about um you know the way misogyny is a real problem we gotta deal we we as men need to be better fuck i love boobs though and then the second (laughs) verse is the second verse is, ah, uh, the environment, like, we're destroying the environment. It's going straight downhill. We need to do better. Fuck, I love boobs, though. <laughs> <laughs> He's so good. He's so, like, he, I honestly think that everything I, not everything, a lot of what I have learned about comedy, about the way to abuse punchline structures, comes from Tim Minchin's songs.
2: Yeah. Who I guess we should also add wrote the amazing Matilda. Yeah, because I think
1: that's that's where I like came to know Tim Minchin as like a a composer. Because like I knew him as a as a comedian more than a like musical comedian, um, just because of how I was exposed to him. Um, But Matilda the musical is. One of the my favorite musicals that I've seen live, which has a lot to do with how much i um how how important the source material is to me just as a person. but it is just so well done and so I think unexpected from Tim Minchin initially. um and he's also said that he's not gonna do a family musical ever again. It's all gonna it's gonna be much more like Groundhog Day, if anything, but it is so good and so well done and so just beautiful and touches me in a way that, like... Like, if this had been Groundhog Day versus Matilda, I would have been voting for Matilda because I love that musical so much. I think Jason feels the same Mm -hmm. way. I think that one's especially, yeah. Absolutely,
0: and we we went back and forth on, like, maybe the theme of this episode should be Tim Minchin is really good at this musicals thing, (laughs) Matilda versus Groundhog Day. Um, But I, I, I think there's something, like... That that fight feels a little unbalanced, whereas I, SpongeBob feels like it, it might actually be able to punch up to to Groundhog Day a little bit.
1: I mean, I I think that that fight is more balanced than this fight personally, but Whoops.
2: <laughs> I think they're both extremely unbalanced because I just said Groundhog Day was the best musical ever
1: created, and um, I
2: I But the point it. is, the
1: point is that Tim Minchin is so talented. In, yes. in a way that I think a lot of people didn't really expect. Because it's kind of like, um I remember the first time I saw Kinky Boots, right? I, you know, Cyndi Lauper knows how to write a song. She knows how to write a catchy song. But I think being able to write a story song versus like an I Want or an 11 o'clock number is something that is so different. And the fact that... Mm. um Tim Minchin is able to do both of those things is, like, like I think writing a story song that is both catchy and works with the thing and, and ties everything together is so impressive, and one of the most, like, musically impressive things to this musical to me is that the musical motifs are repeated so much because of the nature of the plot, um... But it doesn't feel repetitive, you know? It doesn't, it doesn't, you don't get tired of it. It feels fresh and new every time. Because how many
2: times do you have to hear, Satani"? Like, you get the motif over and over again. Like, and you also have to consider, like, Groundhog Day is considered one of the best comedies of all time. Like, the B- BFI literally called it the best comedy ever written. Most people think it's one of the best scripts ever, ever written. Yeah. Like, it's, it's a very great, movie it's like and it's one like i enjoy groundhog day the movie i wouldn't say it's like groundbreaking for me but i like it i've watched it quite a few times and then i saw this musical and i was like tim mentioned managed to take something that was considered widely to be very good and and very well done and he elevated it to another level like he took something that was already considered so great and then he was like you know what i'm going to take this remarkable structure and this great storytelling and this great like understanding of, like, how people evolve and, like, what humanity needs to become better. And I'm going to turn it into a musical that no one is going to see.
0: Absolutely. And and what's important uh, in my, intro- like, my historical introduction to Groundhog Day, I mentioned that Stephen Sondheim was considering writing a version of this. And what he said was writing a musical version... Groundhog Day is gilding the lily. How can you make something that's perfect better? You can't do it. And Tim mentioned surprisingly found a way, and I think there's a lot to dig into. But what I need to start with is track number three. Track number three is entitled Day One. It lasts 10 minutes and 20 seconds. It is so obnoxious. I can imagine that if I was in a theater Watching that particular song, I would be looking at my watch and saying, Fuck this. I cannot stay here any longer.
1: Really? I, I I don't notice that day one is that long. Yeah, I don't either. I
2: would say I would have no idea it was ten minutes long.
0: It's yeah, it's incredible. It is beautifully crafted. I cannot like divorce myself from all of the love that I have for the song at this point. But, uh, you know, day one is 10 minutes, 20 seconds long. It kind of outlines all of the major musical motifs you're going to hear for the rest of the musical. It outlines all of the obnoxious characters you're going to keep bumping into. Day two, uh, Phil Connors wakes up. A lot of the same music is repeated. uh, It's condensed down into four minutes and 26 seconds. Day three, he wakes up again. It's condensed down into one minute and 40 seconds. So there's like a very clear funneling effect happening i think everybody knows that groundhog day means time loop at this point
2: i mean it's it's the thing like when you want to do a
1: time loop thing you call it yeah it's in in the vernacular now
0: right so so you you see this song and it's 10 minutes long and you're like okay i get what you're doing you're setting everything up and i can honestly see myself being ready to write it off at that be like i get what you're doing you don't need to hit us over the head with it this hard like we get it and honestly, I know that things are cut from this 10 minutes and 20 seconds because um, you got to have life. You got to have life. You got to have life insurance is nowhere in day one, even though it pays off way later on the album. So this means that when you're watching day one, the musical number on stage, it is longer than 10 minutes and 20 seconds.
2: Yeah, because you got to have life. You got to have life. Life insurance is in the stage yeah. version, which I right. guess we should say, Kelsey and I have seen the stage version. I've seen the stage version multiple times. Andrew has not seen the stage I, version.
0: I have not. And I am on board with Sarah as saying that this is definitely the best musical of the millennium. Um,
1: wow. Wow. Which means that...
0: Right. Kel- <laughs> Kelsey. Wow. It's, it's just a question of, are you getting on board with the...
2: Like, is this going to be a sweep or are you going to vote for Groundhog Day? That's the drama this here. Is- Don't reveal it, Kelsey. We got to have some drama to keep people listening.
0: But yeah, um, (laughs) no, I I, I can see myself being really frustrated uh, what looks like 15 minutes into this musical. But it turns itself around so hard and in such an incredibly emotional, moving way. But
1: Andrew, you're not frustrated 15 minutes into this musical. You don't feel it. Like, I don't, like, even when I was re-listening to it, like, I don't notice, like, that day one is that long. Like, I, you don't, you, like, it just, it envelops you so wholly that you don't care. And I think there's something interesting about the
2: fact the second longest song in the musical is One Day. And I assume that is intentional—that "Day One" and "One Day" are the two longest songs in the musical. Again, Tim mentioned continues to surprise and delight. This is something I've never thought of before, but I think that's intentional. And I'm gonna after this podcast listen to both of those songs back to back and see what other connections I can make.
0: Right. Um, um, it's
2: it's a delight. Like I. <sighs> I'm gonna go on a rant right now, if you'll allow me, Andrew.
0: Please do, you you can rant better than I can while I pour myself some more champagne.
2: But anyway, I saw Groundhog Day for the first time with my coworkers as a Christmas present. Our boss bought us all tickets to Groundhog Day because we were not working on it yet. So that's what we did as our like holiday party. I started sobbing during one day, like crying so hard. I was like, I do not want my coworkers to cry this much. Thankfully, There were empty seats in the back. So I just got up and sat in the back of the theater (laughs) where none of my coworkers could see me sobbing (laughs) rather than having to like confront that. Um, the best thing about seeing it the first time was one, I cried through most of the second act along with crying through one day. Um, I also got to see Nobody Cares twice because it was in previews and the set broke. So what a delight to get to see that song two times.
0: Can, can we back up and just give a little bit more context? What is, what's the context surrounding Nobody Cares, with the context surrounding one day?
2: Um, Phil, one day is the end of act one. And it's where everyone is talking about, like, the things they would do one day. So Rita goes in this monologue about all the things she hasn't achieved and all the things she hasn't done and what she wants to achieve and sings about it, while the other characters are too. But at the same time, you have Phil there. He's reliving the same one day over and over again. So that's in contrast with everyone else talking about one day as this abstract thing you, like, want to achieve. So, like, that alone was enough to make me start sobbing. <laughs> Just the idea of, like, all these things I talk about doing and I never do. And, and having someone who has every opportunity to do that because he's reliving the same day over and over again, while these other people keep pushing it off, not knowing that from his perspective, why do I want to say Andy and not the character's name, oh. Phil? Um, it's beautiful. And it's... Sob-inducing. Nobody Cares is earlier. And that's Mm -hmm. when... um, So if I was going to attach it to a part in the movie, the part in the movie where Phil gets drunk and drives in his truck with a groundhog, that's the the Nobody Cares of this musical.
0: This is Phil realizing that he's stuck in a loop. There's nothing he can do that will change anything. So he might as well wreak as much havoc as he possibly can because there are no more consequences.
2: He might as well do whatever the fuck he wants because it doesn't matter. And so that's what Nobody Cares is, which is in the stage version a very elaborate use of both rounds and puppeteering. And it's extremely difficult to stage. And it's one of the reasons Groundhog Day struggled, because it was so difficult to stage. (laughs) And it kept breaking like every single night. Um, So I got to see Nobody Cares twice, but Nobody Cares is also one of the best songs in the musical because it's so catchy, even though it is a song about depression Mm -hmm. and about how when you are extremely depressed... You truly get in your head, no one cares what I do or who I am or what i 'm about, so what what matters and I think that's a that's essentially the beautiful thing about Groundhog Day is it takes you through that journey of depression from like the stuck, which is about feeling the same thing over and over and over again and not knowing how to get out it. Nobody cares accepting it in a negative way. <laughs> And then moving through the musical and processing all that stuff. Because you start to get into act, act two and you have hope, which is literally a song about using the language that keeps people from committing suicide about someone who is trying to commit suicide, which has so many layers in its own way, To like to everything about you, which is about accepting that repetition and starting to learn. If I had my time again, what if you take that repetition and make yourself better? Um, Night Will Come accepting death as a
1: thing we must all experience which that's Ugh. Night Will Come is my favorite song in the musical and it made me sob Oof. <sighs> Yeah cause that's when Ned
2: Ryerson comes in and you go from being like it's me Ned Ryerson do you need life insurance to being like let's take a bit and really think about what this means it's me Ned Ryerson you're gonna die one day have you thought about it <laughs>
0: This is the the genius of Tim Minchin, is that he introduces Ned Ryerson very early on in the musical with this super obnoxious refrain of, You gotta love life, you gotta love life, you gotta love life, insurance. And it's repeated over and over and over. Uh, And then in the end, Ned Ryerson gets the song, Night Will Come. All about how his wife died and there was nothing he could do about it. And it ends with, you gotta love life. You gotta love life. You gotta love life. And this... That's this, it. it. It's heartbreaking. And it, it's... But, um, yeah, I, that, I... I agree with you, Kelsey. Night Will Come is an incredible moment. I don't know that I can say it's the best. Because every song in this, honestly, I mean, is the best.
1: I mean... I will say that when I saw this, the moment of this show is playing Nancy. Like, it's so yeah. amazing and weird and and wonderful. And just, like, is this perfect moment in this show that you're like, wait, what's happening? Wait, I love this. <laughs> Which, yeah. like, Tim mentioned is
2: so good at the song you come back from intermission yeah. for. Yeah. Like, in Matilda, there's a really fun song called Telly. That is Matilda's uh, dad and brother singing about TV and it like brings you back in and it gets you back in the space. Playing Nancy is about like the hot character who has been a punchline in the first act coming out and talking about being a punchline hot character in a musical. It's meta as hell. I will say the people who don't get Groundhog Day hate it. <laughs> Straight up, like playing Nancy, like we left, and all my coworkers were like, what are up? What's up with playing Nancy? And on the flip side, when I saw it the second time with different coworkers, and then Jason saw it separately from me, Jason left and he was like, playing Nancy is the best song yeah. in this musical, yeah. and like, because it does such a good job of commenting on musical theater, commenting on what it's like to be a mo- a woman, not only a musical theater, but a woman in a comedy from the '90s, right? <laughs>
0: um,
2: in such a specific way, because again, Tim Mention is a genius. <laughs>
0: Yeah, really? it's, a, it's a real special moment. God, I cannot say enough good things about this musical. I think maybe the best thing I can say about this musical is that my Spotify Rewind 2019 had five different tracks from Groundhog Day at the top.
2: My Spotify 2019 was essentially just Groundhog Day because I took the time to download it onto my phone so I could make sure, even if the subway train went through the <laughs> tunnel or underground, I could still listen to Groundhog Day.
0: Uh, Me too. I think... Like, I think this album was the last album I bought. The album before that that I bought was Hamilton. And, yeah. like, like, the album that I bought minutes before that was a Julia Nunes' album, which is a separate issue we'll get into on my other ukulele podcast. Girls. Ukulele fun. girls are the best.
2: <laughs> but, like, I, I, I need you all to know, when I first started this, and I, like, started, like, a couple weeks ago, like, listening to Spongebob, I had to stop listening to Spongebob because I was thinking about how the first time I saw Groundhog Day and how much I cried. So I had to stop listening to Spongebob, go to Groundhog Day, listen to the rest of Groundhog Day and go back to Spongebob because it's just every time I listen to it, a different thing impacts me. Like listening to it today, um, the last song made me cry. Like I started crying over seeing you, which is not a song that normally makes me cry. Normally it's one day or everything about you or if I had my time again, but this time
1: seeing you. I, I want to I wanna say, as someone who is slightly more unbiased than the other two panelists that we have here today, um, <laughs> that I do think that because of, like, I think that hands down Tim Minchin is a genius. This musical is amazing. The songs are so good. A lot of them stand on their own. I do think this, the songs in this show are much more, like, Heavily musical songs, like they are part of a story that is hard to separate from the context, um, which is kind of yeah. what Andrew was saying, I think, earlier about the book and the and this and the motifs and stuff. That they're much harder to separate from the whole. Like I am much more likely to listen to this whole show than to go back and listen to one song. Um, which Mm -hmm. I think is, which, which on the podcast vernacular, we do call, I think, the karaoke quotient. I think there are not that many songs on this, uh, this album that I would do at karaoke just because of how they are arranged. One, um, they're a little harder to do and, and, um, the, the relative catchiness is, uh, they're not not catchy, but they're, they're just very heavily story songs and, And it's hard to, like, separate them from that context. Whereas I think on, um, Spongebob, because of how that show was composed, those songs are much, like, more meant to be, like, a single on the radio than anything else. And I don't think this is necessarily a pro or a con for either show, but they do serve Mm -hmm. very different functions. Yeah. I will say, I tried to find a con for Groundhog Day just so I
2: could. Because my con for SpongeBob is that that one TI song was clearly them trying to do a Hamilton and it (laughs) failed. But my one con for Groundhog Day I found is the way they say tomorrow. How do they say it? I did not notice this. When they sing it, they sing it ta. Tomorrow. No, no, it is not a two. Andrew, listen to it. It's not a tomorrow. It's a tomorrow. Tomorrow. Yeah, T A H, not T O. And so that is literally the only thing I can do is that they say tomorrow. That doesn't bother me.
0: (laughs) Sarah, as someone who pronounces, uh, you know, that oh no! You turn I t- pronounce
2: so many words wrong, so I don't have a leg to stand on. I was literally trying to find anything I could say as a thing that might <laughs> stick, and that's all I have for you.
1: <laughs> I I think you know I I think this is a great musical. I think it was highly underrated. I think it should have come out a different year, and it would have done a lot better. Um, I think it was mm-hmm. I think it was really really detrimental to the show to come out the year it did which is, like, not yeah, something yeah. I say a ton, but it also makes me angry when I think about SpongeBob because, like, SpongeBob should have succeeded that year. There was nothing else yeah. on. And it Absolutely. Yeah. and
2: it's, it's like, I, I think about this a lot because, like, it was heartbreaking to work on Groundhog Day at that point <laughs> because, like, you're trying so hard to, like, find the people who will buy tickets and go. And, like, I'm worried Tim mentioned we'll never do another musical again. Because he put his heart and soul into Groundhog Day and it didn't take off the way it should have. And, like, that breaks my heart because he's so good yeah. at this. And to see him, like, be devastated by this is so yeah, hard. Yeah, that
1: was, okay. that's the only year I've ever seen all of the shows that were nominated for Best Musical. um, And yeah. they were all Same. very, very good. And, yeah, like, for me, I love Dear Evan Hansen. And Dear Evan Hansen touched me in a, I was depressed as a teenager and had a single mom type way um uh and I saw that with my mom and that really hit me from a depression state more than this did um and I think I might have seen them at a similar time like maybe the same weekend that my mom was here but like all the shows that year were so good and I think if this show had come out a year later it would have been so much more successful and it just pains Mm -hmm. me that it wasn't because my favorite show from yeah, this year right. from this year was Natasha Pierre. Like, I loved that show so much. Like it it was like everything I loved and I mean but I loved all the shows this year and I it, it paints They're all It great. paints me but, so much that this show couldn't do better because of what was surrounding it. Broadway's such yeah. a weird economy to be in.
0: Can I can I just uh steamroll the conversation into something I want to talk about which I I think is uh, is another genius Tim Minchin move which is everything about you and everything about Mm. you reprise Um, Mm -hmm. which in the movie is Phil Connors is stuck in a time loop and he goes on date after date after date after date with Rita learns everything about her and, like, uses it to, at one point, almost accidentally have a perfect date with her and then try to re-engineer it. And he, he never can quite get it back to what that first one was. Like, there's there's this moment in the movie that I I can't get out of my head of, like, they were having a snowball fight and they, they fell to the ground. And it was like a, oh, I'm giggling, you're giggling, like, it's perfect. And he keeps trying to re-engineer that moment and he can never do it.
2: Oh, that's uh, exactly the same in the stage version. Right, but yeah.
0: But like in a, in a 90s movie, it it feels like from a 2020 lens. It feels so manipulative and almost gaslighty. Um and everything about you the first time around is almost that and and everything about you reprise is like the same tune and it's just in some ways so much deeper all the things he has learned about her that I think it's just Tim mentioned saying like here is here is something that kinda sucked about a nineteen ninety three movie. And let let's like keep the spirit of the film and like keep the roman- romantic comedy of what we're trying to go for. But like 2017 it just, I, just
1: a little bit. I think bit. that's one of the Which, like it I think that's one of the genius things of honestly both of these musicals is that like we talked a lot on we're talking about spam a lot about what has aged poorly and what hasn't and um and how spam a lot really hasn't aged that poorly but mostly because of the original content being not super like dated in you know a way whereas like i think both of these i think Groundhog day specifically does such a good job of capturing the spirit of the original content, but not making it feel dated in a way. Like it doesn't, it feels like the story is occurring in 2017 as opposed to in 1993. Um, but But the spirit of the original story is there. And I do feel like that is similar in SpongeBob, even though the sort of time and date of, Bikini Bottom as a cartoon are a bit amorphous, and we don't really know. But, like, <laughs> but like the show itself yeah. was made, you know, earlier. Yeah. yeah. Um. And yeah. I think that's just... That's something really interesting. And I... I mean, if I can sort of steer us towards a conclusion, the thing about Groundhog Day is that it stands separate from its original content as an amazing musical, um, whereas... SpongeBob is good because of how good an adaptation it is.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's a really good delineation. Um, I also think there's just two more things I need to say about Groundhog Day. One that when Bill Murray saw it, he came back the next night and saw it again, which I think is just beautiful and a nice indication of like, he loved it so much. He had to see it twice immediately. Um, I wish Harold uh, Ramis had been alive to see it because I think he truly would have loved it. Um, And then the second, the other thing is when they were doing merch for Groundhog Day, I just need everyone to know this because I think this is hilarious. When they were doing merch for Groundhog Day, they designed a shirt where the groundhog's head was right at the baseline of the shirt. So if you were a woman and you were wearing a shirt that was all white and at the very bottom in the middle had a groundhog's head, that groundhog head might land, I don't know, somewhere on a woman's body that we often refer to as a beaver. Oh, interesting. And, Essentially, they made that shirt, immediately realized they could not sell it. So, somewhere in a warehouse somewhere is a bunch of shirts that have a groundhog right at the bottom center of a t-shirt. Do
1: do you have one, though? No. I begged.
2: (laughs) I begged so hard to get one. And they were like, they are locked down.
1: But they are somewhere. If anybody out there knows where we can get these shirts... Please tell us. Because I would wear that shirt every day of my life. We would like
2: that. (laughs) Anyway, those are my additional uh, trivia things. I just need to make sure. So
0: so Kelsey, would you like to call a vote?
1: I would like to call a vote. Not that it really matters at this point. Okay, Sarah, as our guest, please tell me who wins this temporarily retitled musical theater love fest.
2: I love Spongebob so much. I think it's an amazing musical and I wish more people had gotten to see it on Broadway. Hopefully it'll come back someday. I think it has more of a chance of coming back than Groundhog Day does. But with all that said,
1: Groundhog Day wins here.
0: (laughs) All right. So we got one vote for Groundhog Day. Kelsey, would you like to give
1: your vote? I will give my vote. It's going to come down to... I think the music, the the show as a whole, as a part, as opposed to um, contingent parts. As I said, I think that Groundhog Day stands alone as a full musical. That in a hundred years, if people somehow, if we somehow lose the print of of Bill Murray, if if digital content doesn't exist. Um, people will still be able to enjoy this musical without knowing the source material as i did since i have not seen the source material i mean i know the general concept but you know there's there's references that i didn't get and i still enjoyed this musical i think for me the the spongebob musical is for a specific time and place and audience which it was unable to reach really. Um, I think if you are between the ages of 25 and 35 and had cable growing up, you should seek out the SpongeBob musical and go see it because and watch it because it is a fucking delight. But as far as on the basis of what is the better full on musical, I think it has to be Groundhog Day. Tim Minchin is a genius. Please write more musicals, Tim Minchin. <laughs> please do it. Please, please. <laughs> Andrew.
0: Oh, well, well, since you asked, um, for me, SpongeBob SquarePants, the new musical is a clear Lee fine film or musical. No, um, SpongeBob SquarePants is, it's a fantastic musical. Like I, I can't imagine a whole lot of other things that SpongeBob could go up against and lose against. I mean, um I I, can, I think
1: but you all have weird opinions. <laughs> well,
0: I I think that what what's interesting about both of these musicals is that they have such a a strong left hook. Like you're you're focusing on the right hand and then boom mm. out of the corner of your eye this gets you. Like on paper there's no reason that SpongeBob should make a good musical. There's no reason that Groundhog Day should make a good musical. And uh with a with a two for Groundhog Day vote. I really need to emphasize. You should absolutely seek out SpongeBob SquarePants, the musical. It's it is worth
1: it. the $10 on Prime. It's worth it. I it is a
0: spectacular <laughs> musical. But Groundhog Day, I'm like, I'm a little worried it spoke to me because I was too depressed at a, sp- at a certain point in my life. But, like, Groundhog Day, it is so brilliant. It is everything, every piece of it fits into it so well. I can't do anything but vote for Groundhog Day. Uh, it is nice after one episode of me being outvoted to have a, another 3-0 <laughs> uh, sweep. sweep. Groundhog yeah. Day wins this death match handily.
1: We all knew it was going to going into this, which again, which is why we all talked about how much we yes. loved SpongeBob <laughs> while we gave yeah, Which Day is why win. I wanted to do Matilda vs. Groundhog Day because... In that case, for me, Matilda wins. But <laughs> yeah, but I think you still
2: got Groundhog Day. From yeah, me, yeah, no, I... yeah. I mean, yeah.
1: Again, I think it's the best. I, I do. I do so want to good. caveat our <laughs> listeners that Sarah and and Andrew have very specific tastes for this musical. It's a great musical, and you should listen to the soundtrack. It's very good. I don't think it's the best musical of the last decade, or the last twenty years, or the millennium. But it is very, very good. I would have trouble picking what was, so you know. Right. <laughs> yeah. I'll also,
2: I'll also add. I I feel like I dodged a bullet that Sondheim did not produce Groundhog Day. Ooh,
0: interesting. Well, Sarah, <laughs> I I invite you to to bite your tongue on that comment. And we'll see where you're standing in about nine months or so. Um. Don't worry about it. You'll, you, we'll deal with it when we get to it.
2: For the record, I'm not, like, magically pregnant. I just feel like it's important for the <laughs> listeners to know no. that. If you throw nine months out there, people are going to be no, confused. No,
0: Sarah, <laughs> you, you fucking idiot. Nine months from now is our one-year anniversary show.
2: Wait, okay, yes. I and you, you you are
0: start. our predetermined guest for our one-year anniversary show. <laughs>
1: In which Andrew and I yell about Sondheim. About Sondheim a lot. (laughs) Happy New Year to me again. Oh, and
2: I get to be the deciding (laughs) vote. Truly, everyone, I don't like Sondheim musicals, so this will be really good. In
0: any case... And if your New Year's resolution is to follow us on social media, boy, do we have a deal for you. You can find us at at MT underscore Deathmatch on Twitter and Instagram. And if you go there right now, you can find a poll in which you can vote on which is better, Groundhog Day or SpongeBob SquarePants, the new musical. Again, we cannot recommend this enough. Listen to both albums. They are both spectacular, but Amazing. then vote for Groundhog Day. Um, and then, if you want to find us on Facebook, we are at, at MT Deathmatch without the underscore. Um, Kelsey, do you have anything you would like to plug?
1: I would like to plug my other podcast with Sarah's husband, Jason. It's called Ruin My Life, where we uh, talk about things that we like and force our friends to like them too. Generally, movies, TV. Um, by this point, we will have two new episodes out in December. Um,. So, if you like 2004 Teen Soaps and Nathan Fielder, you should listen to both of them.
0: <laughs> Hold on. Are you doing another Nathan For You episode?
1: <laughs> no, we're doing How To With John Wilson.
0: <laughs> okay. And are you doing an OC episode?
1: We are doing a Chris episode.
0: <laughs> yes, Sarah, what would you like to plug?
2: I would like to plug Self Care. Everyone... Go take a walk, go outside, walk around, do it with your mask on, get some fresh air. Um, think about things that make you feel good and that make you take care of yourself. Because we are at a time where no one else is going to take care of you but you. So take a time, take a beat, think about what's going to make you feel better emotionally, mentally, mm-hmm. physically, and do those and things. And if you have the
1: means, as we say on my other pet podcast... Go to therapy. Go to therapy.
0: <laughs> um, I would like to point out that as this episode is coming out in the new year of 2021, here is a fun science fact for you. The sunset tomorrow will be later than it was today. Days are getting longer at this point.
1: We love to yeah. see it. Yeah. Uh,
0: which is to say.
1: Love to see which,
0: it. Uh, I guess you could phrase as tomorrow spring will come and then there will be good times, my friends. friends.
1: Okay, so bright
0: eyes and laughter.
1: Join us next time. (laughs) Yes, Uh, please.
0: Please join us next time where our episode is entitled, The Title is a Number. We're doing 13 versus 6. Go vote, go
1: vote in the poll on Twitter. And also, if you live in Georgia, go vote there. <laughs> musical, beat,
0: musical, musical, music, to death match.
2: Living his dream Who's always extra careful with his dental
1: hygiene? Gary, it's me Happy just to be here in the world renowned Ba-da-ba-ba
0: Shake my balls, I'm out